and understanding the platform, the architecture, the OS features, and uh, focus. And now we uh, and like you know focus on iOS as well as Android platforms. The, today we are going to talk about understanding of app and security controls around the application. Okay, Matesh is back again. Hey, Matesh, can you talk? Maybe you can just drop off and rejoin, uh, Matesh. Okay, all right. So, so Mohan, can you? Yeah. Would you like to? Sure, sure. Talk yeah. about so uh, so in this three-part series, uh, what we initially we started with uh, you know uh, like one session, but then we realized that this is uh, quite a, a big task, you know, because there are multiple areas, and it is better to give some justice to each of these areas than just uh, go through it quickly in a you know in a uh, uh, just touch and go kind of fashion, right? And that's the reason we split this in three-part series. For in the last session, we covered. Uh, mobile device security, where, where we looked at what are the different, uh, uh, you know, uh, components in that uh, device management. So we looked at mobile device management and we saw the different layers, right? One, hardware, the underlying hardware, then the firmware given by, uh, you know, uh, the manufacturer. Then the mobile OS sitting on top of that, uh, uh, you know, firmware, it could be iOS, Android, or any. So we, uh, since there are multiple OSs, we just focus for the sake of you know, uh, convenience, uh, iOS and Android because we are widely used uh, OS devices. And then on top of the mobile OS uh, lies the application, right? And then that basically, uh, the entire uh, bundle is basically part of the uh, mobile device management, right? So we covered uh, in that in the entire uh, session in the last meeting. So. Uh, uh, Mitesh touched upon these two URLs in the last, and these two are applicable even today's session, right? So today we're going to focus on mobile application security. So we looked at mobile device security. Now we are looking at mobile application security, and the next session will be on the APIs uh, security, you know, because uh, slowly what we have seen is the world is uh, moving towards from desktop applications uh, to uh, mobile applications. and the whole of uh, the uh, uh, you know, organization's uh, portfolio of application is now getting switched to mobile. And this has been happening since, I think, more than a decade now. You know? uh, some have picked up quickly, some are a uh, you know, little slow. So uh, we'll, we'll touch upon basically, uh, you know, uh, if I am coming from, say, in general, I'm an IT uh, or a developer, or I'm in IT operations, or I am uh, coming from a, a hardware, which was the case for me, basically, hardware, firmware. You know, and then uh, you know, we will move uh, into uh, you know, how these different variety of people can actually get into uh, mobile application security. So since we have still some time, Mitesh is yet to join, let me talk about how my journey started. So um, I was working for a startup called Manipal.net at Manipal in India. And, uh, this startup actually, uh, the project on which uh, I was working on in the startup was related to uh, uh, semiconductors, basically, which means the customer used to give us one line requirement and we had to cover it, uh, uh, you know, um, complete specification of uh, that chip 
uh, or it's called FPGA, uh, Field Programmable Gate Arrays. And once we come up with that, uh, you know, we have to ensure that, uh, uh, you know, the chip works in the way in which uh, it is expected to work. And so that part was uh, on uh, uh, development board, right? Uh, and that development board, uh, we used to configure it through open source technologies like Linux and Android, right? Because that's a low cost or zero cost rather. Uh, but we had to learn all those integrities about how to manage the open source uh, details like kernel, uh, you know, uh, the OS layer, uh, in that the application layer, then the user layer, etc. Right. And then, uh, so I was very well versed uh, with uh, Android. Uh, I, in fact, uh, ported the kernel, ported the device drivers, and then I moved to Android application security ecosystem. Uh, because I knew underlying hardware, underlying firmware, as well as mobile OS, it was very smooth transition for me to secure, uh, you know, uh, OS into uh, OS level details or whatever knowledge that I had from the lower layers into, uh, you know, uh, extended to applications. Because when you are changing a driver, when you are changing a kernel, you have to think a lot. Uh, I remember I had given a presentation where I said, uh, you know, it's a triangle. Uh, a normal uh, developer develops like, say, 1,000 lines of code in a day, supposedly. 100 lines of code at, uh, you know, uh, device driver level uh, gets written in a day. And then only 10 lines get written, uh, you know, in the kernel level. So that's how uh, complex it is. So you have to think from all different angles as you go, uh, you know, in the uh, mobile OS as well as downward towards the firmware. So I came from that background, and uh, yeah, that's how uh, uh, I moved into applic mobile application security, and then I uh, got into web infrastructure and so on. Now that we have Mitesh, uh, yeah, Mitesh, over to you. Thank you for thank you for sharing your journey. Thank you, very interesting. Yeah, hey, Mitesh. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, yes we yes. can. Right. Yes, we can. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So, um, Mohan, thanks for giving that down. Um, the um, key message there is that we started with that device security, and now we are going into the app security. And this is where the like the very important concept comes into the picture is where now you are going to bring in the data on the device, and that's where the security security really kicks in because without data, the device is just basically with an operating system, right? So um, what are the skill set that you need when you go into the app security space or when you combine the data with the device and what are the device and app security combination you need? So the last week session, um, you will have to use it as a foundation and now we are going to build on top of it. So when it comes to as a starting point, uh, I think the very important thing that uh, anyone who is coming in to understand is the uh, iOS and Android app sandbox. How exactly the app is created when you actually deploy an app on a device, download an app on a device, what exactly happens? What kind of file system structure gets created? Where that uh, um, source code actually gets deployed? How it gets deployed? Is it just unzipping or is it just a compiled code that gets uh, deployed on the top of the operating system? And then the um, encryption uh, of that data when the app brings in. So first you are going to add the app and that's where the file system structure where the data will be. Um, if I need to encrypt it to protect that data, how that encryption, what are my options for encryption? And uh, one of the most important uh, concept in both the platform they have is called keychain or key store 
for Android, uh, which is where the keys are actually protected. So how that works, right? What are the different levels of keys that each platform actually introduces as part of the device and the app security combination? So just like last time I suggested to learn the platform security guide as a starting point, when it comes to the app security, I would suggest this as a starting point to uh, read and understand and build on the uh, foundation of the device security. Hey, hey Mitesh, I'll just bring up a question that had come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's a little bit early, but uh, we are in the second session. So uh, somebody has asked, they don't want their name revealed. So they've asked, how long will it take a developer to learn enough for a career in mobile security? So how long do you think? Six months, maybe. Like, I mean, if you can answer that. Right. So it really goes to your motivation, right? Because I have seen like people take the very expensive training and then it comes with the certification voucher. And then a year later when I asked them, they said, I still haven't used it. So it really goes to the motivation. But uh, uh, if assuming that you have a, a decent motivation, I would say three to six months is a decent time to uh, come up to speed because you have other responsibilities and uh, your regular life as well. So that is probably a good ballpark. Okay, that sounds that sounds extremely doable, right? So we are not talking about like four year or something, career yes. degree or something. So yeah, and and yes. obviously you know it is how what you put in. Uh, yeah. More yes. adding. Yes. Specifically, if you're a mobile app yes. developer already, then you have a significant foundation there, and you are now just adding the security feature knowledge on top of it, and uh, you can be a really good security person at that point. Correct. Exactly. So I, I just want to compliment uh, what Mitesh said, you know. So uh, if you're a developer, you're already 50% in uh, the mobile app side, by the way. Okay, you, you don't have to start from scratch, you know, like, like me, for example, when I started. It was quite a different because I came from, you know, device driver, kernel, etc. And then moved to an application layer. But since you're a developer, you're already in there, right? So what you need to do is you could be, uh, you know, a front-end developer, you could be a back-end developer, you know, maybe you could be a, a web developer or probably, a, you know, a, some kind of uh, development that you are good at. Now, uh, we will cover that anyway later on. So uh, what you need is basically, as uh, Mitesh said, uh, passion, you know, uh, how much uh, passion you have towards entering into this domain, right? And since you're already in uh, development, you can just start looking at, uh, we'll give the references later in the slides, uh, and then uh, just go on learning. Because in, in this space, uh, in general, in patient security, uh, what I have observed is, unlike in other disciplines of engineering, uh, you get a lot and lot of support, uh, you know, open source tools, open source, uh, you know, knowledge sharing. And then there are a lot of meetups like this and many more, you know. So. Uh, people in there uh, in this domain are actually so i mean they have taken so much from the community and learned and grown over a period of time they want to come back and share it right so you you get a lot of uh, uh, knowledge resources uh, in the public domain so it, it all completely depends on your motivation your passion and uh, yeah as rightly uh, said by mitesh three to six months is just good enough if you are a developer and uh, at the end of the day, what you're doing as a developer, you would be doing some testing, right? Uh, functional. Here we are saying that, okay, you just extend the scope of functional testing into non-functional testing, right? Uh, so you may have heard of uh, performance tests. You may have heard of uh, 
uh, security tests and you may have heard of uh, you know um, there are a few other areas in the non functional uh, testing so you have to just extend the domain of what you're doing uh, instead of functional do testing you just say okay uh, how this can be exploited how or what can go wrong in these scenarios and then you can go further yeah anyway we have some more slide we'll cover all all that yeah so mohan before we proceed uh, there's a question for you and it says mohan sir Uh, it is nice to get your perspective as an OASP leader. Uh, does OASP have a mobile device management project? This okay, pertains to our last said, talk uh, we had last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, as Mitesh said, he is not aware of any. In fact, I haven't come across with OASP MDM project. But uh, uh, since OASP is a volunteer-led organization. if there is enough demand for uh, mobile device management uh, yes there will be a project and uh, you know if you guys are uh, interested uh, we can actually start a project and once uh, we see the momentum we would get funding from uh, you know different sources to continue that so yeah uh, let us know if you are keen on uh, joining that moment uh, yeah we can give it a shot at it yeah okay thanks all right so moving further um when it comes to apps right so we talked about the file system structure now the next thing i think the key is to understand what are the different type of apps in in a real life right so you will come across um, you know, we all know about consumer apps we go into public app store and we download them use them uh, every day and that's where we interact with apple app store and google play store um but when you are and the key point there is that you mobile app security is still the first but you will not be able to control the device because you don't know who is downloading that you don't own the device therefore you cannot just control the device right you cannot install an mdm on it or or expect an mdm type um, control available on those devices so everything that you need to do is it has to be inside the app because there is nothing is provided as a service other than the platform features that are there for you to use but if you don't use it then nothing activated right so ios and android both offers you features as a developer to leverage like encryption but if you don't use it then there is no control there so that's the important point uh, if you are in an enterprise environment as we mentioned last time um, you will have a likely mobile device management type control and this is where the use of mobile device management comes into picture right so we looked at the um, what it can do but now what it is there for is basically mobile device management has two areas one is it's controlling some of the uh, features of the device that you can secure but now it is also able to add value in the app security area so it has really device and app security both type of features built in there and uh, um, usually those apps are delivered through an enterprise app store so every time you implement a mobile mdm type solution it comes with its own app store that uh, where the internal apps are hosted so you are not putting those apps into the app store and wherever mdm is not available there is also an alternate solution available where um, we call it mobile application management which is really a subset of mdm um and and it can be based on an sdk or app wrapping implementation um or there is an open source framework called app config that can also be leveraged uh, for mobile application management so um 
if you don't have a full featured MDM, um, something like app config um, should be linked to uh, as an open source solution option. So okay, I, I have a mind and and have a logical separation in your brain that okay when I'm dealing with a consumer app versus I'm dealing with an enterprise app, what is the the controls I have available and as a service and what I need to build into the app. Okay. I have a question about um, what you just discussed about this uh, mobile, like if you are an enterprise, then so would that MDM solution uh, be able to onboard uh, external apps? Would that work? Uh, yes, it can actually, you can make, take the third party apps from the public app store and make it a managed app within your enterprise. That way, uh, the data that goes into that app um, will actually be controlled by MDM and you can actually have some oversight. You can apply policies on those apps. So uh, yes, you can make it a managed app. Yeah, yeah. I just want to like, you know, share that so that uh, people yeah. understand. Uh, yeah. that you know. Right. And that is a very common use case, actually. So, um, yes. Uh, hey, Mohan joined. Mohan, do you want to add something to this? Okay. All right. So we learned about the structure. We learned about the different type of apps. Now it comes to the core point, which is what are my security requirements, right? That is typically as a developer, you need to understand. And I have put some guidance document uh, reference uh, links here. Uh, the second link is actually uh, a commercial vendor. So I just want to make sure it's not an endorsement of the vendor, but they just wrote that public article that is open and extremely useful. So um, just take an advantage of that, right? Um, so starting with the NIST guidelines on how to vet your security application. So again, this you can reverse engineer this document and say, um, how do I convert them into the actionable requirement? Uh, that is, wherever they are saying that, okay, you should vet your applications this way, you can turn that into a requirement that, okay, going for I'll require this as to vet my applications, right? Um, the second document, gives you very actionable guidance, um, which is the uh, mobile app security coding best practices, which is exactly what a developer is looking for. And then as Mohan mentioned, there is a, uh, actually a mobile top 10 project for us. So you can get cheat sheet, you can get top 10 uh, findings and requirement. You can start as little as there, but uh, I strongly recommend that second link uh, on the mobile secure coding best practices to be referred here. Um, one other thing that apart from those requirements that developers, if you're a developer and going into the security, you need to keep in mind is the app permissions. Believe me or not, that is actually the single most important factor where the uh, hacking attempts takes place, which is where app does not need certain permissions, but they just uh, have an excessive permissions that are out there. And uh, there are malwares, there is attacks that happen to leverage that channel. Uh, and uh, because very little attention is being paid there because it's not a requirement for the functionality. So all the testing is happening um, without those permissions and therefore they don't realize that there is excessive permissions out there. Um, second concept is unsafe APIs, which is basically unsafe in terms of security, right? So there are APIs exposed by both Apple and Google 
from their device as a platform. For example, leverage access to the camera, access to the microphone, um, access to the context. So yes, camera and microphone is more a functional requirement, but there is a variety of uh, attacks has been delivered through those. And uh, most importantly, unsafe APIs comes into picture is where you have um, access to context, right? So context can be a significant. Uh, so that's where people are after is the bulk data and how do I grab that? Um, app signing is also, I'm, I'm sure as a developer, you would know that, but uh, within app signing, you definitely need to understand certain uh, parameters, like what is the key uh, size that you need to use? What are the best practices for the um, uh, signing processes? Uh, these are all important concepts that um, part of a time right now to go over, but I'm giving you pointers, what you need to learn, go out. And there is so, so many articles out there, very easily you can find um, and that. Um, next is the services. So as a developer, when you develop the app, you're likely to leverage this services, which is basically push notification, right? One of the mm, very common service that people use. Um, if you are looking to leverage some of the controls that are available through platform, Android safety net for routing detection is an uh, important one. And then um, in case of Android, one of the um, most uh, uh, easily uh, can be attacked is the reverse engineering the binaries, which is basically they take the binary, they download it, the reverse engineer, and with a decompiler, you can actually get a code, source code back. So Android ProGuard comes into picture, which is basically it obfuscates the binary. So that makes it, it's not impossible, but it makes it difficult for people to reverse engineer. So it, these are like more becoming like best practices going forward. That um, if you are putting an Android app out there in the public app store, you should definitely use ProGuard because it's a, a feature available by Android platform and it obfuscates the binaries and makes it extremely difficult. So it allows you to protect some of the important logic that is built into the app itself. Sure. I just wanted to point out that when we talk about app permissions, just the privacy factor, I know we are not like focused on that, but collect things that you don't want for your use just because, you know, you can get the user because the user just wants to use it. Just don't collect what you can't protect. So just be mindful of you just getting enough data, but not more than what you need. Just because, you know, you might push a feature and then at that point you might require it. The There is an urge to, you know, like say, oh yeah, let's get all these things and then we can drop them on the floor if we don't need them. But we might come up with a new feature and at that point, like going back and uh, make a problem. Right, uh, to add to that, uh, yes, in fact, uh, if, if you have installed or if you're testing a, a mobile app and, uh, you know, it has, it is asking a lot of permissions that you think logically it doesn't require, you know that, uh, you know, that this app is actually trying to do something beyond what is actually been projected, right? So those are some of the cues that as a uh, mobile app set uh, uh, consultant, uh, you know, you can actually start digging into it and then you would come out with uh, some findings, you know. So that's one. Uh, the, the second part is, uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, uh, if, if you're a developer, uh, you know, uh, uh, or if you're a mobile AppSec consultant and you have uh, tested it, uh, tested the native app, 
uh, by the way, there are three types of um, uh, app, mobile apps, native app, uh, mobile web app, and uh, hybrid apps. So native apps are developed by, uh, you know, uh, um, programming languages like uh, Swift or Objective-C, uh, you know, for iOS, then you have Java, Kotlin for Android. Uh, so if, uh, if, if I'm talking about native apps here, Mobile apps are basically apps that you can use uh, or load or start or work with uh, using mobile uh, browser, mobile OS browser. And then hybrid app is basically, you know, uh, it's combination of both. It starts from uh, uh, you know, native and moves to mobile uh, web and so on. Uh, when you're testing such apps, right, uh, first thing probably you can look at, as uh, Mitesh already gave some background around uh, what are the key areas that you need to look at file system and then uh, all the mobile uh, top 10, right, uh, given by the OWASP. Uh, these are top risks that you you should see, but there are a lot of other areas that you can dig further, you know. Uh, so primarily now, once you identified some issues, then uh, there, there is uh, in your report or in your, uh, you know, uh, discussion with the developers, you probably may need to uh, give them guidance in terms of, hey, uh, you know what, I found this issue and this is how you need to fix it, you know. Uh, if you're a white hat or a gray hat uh, person, right? Uh, if you're a black hat, uh, I, I don't discuss in that area. But uh, if, if you're working with people who uh, whom you want to improve in terms of delivering secure mobile apps, then you need to give a recommendation. You know, this is the vulnerability and this is the fix uh, and this is how you need to you know develop securely. So in such cases, uh, we'll cover anyways in later slides how OWASP actually has come up with uh, testing guide, you know, and everything related to uh, how to fix those issues as well, right? So in this, uh, you know, my main suggestion, if I were uh, talking to a mobile app developer is that make the mobile app as dumb as possible. That means it should not have sensitive data locally stored on the mobile uh, device. Uh, it should do everything, you know, via the back where you call whatever activity that you want to do on the mobile app you just make a call and get it back right but there are more improvised way you know instead of just uh, this transaction uh, request response there are nowadays uh, more uh, better ways of doing it uh, but all the point here is you should recommend not to do anything sensitive or not to store anything sensitive locally on the mobile app and everything should be uh, if it is uh, sensitive private uh, and, uh, you know, something that shouldn't be revealed, uh, you know, it shouldn't be kept on the mobile app, but it should be uh, retrieved from, uh, you know, the backend. Yeah. Okay, that's that's great. Uh, one sec, let's go to the next slide. Right. So then connecting all that to the threats and defense, this is the same slide we had last time, but this particular link also covers both device and apps security layer um, control. So um, as you load the app, uh, the foundation of it with the uh, secure coding requirements, then when you read this particular uh, different cap capabilities that an adversary has, how they are going to attack it, what are the attackers available and what you can do about it, then you can put all the device and application security line by line and it will start to make sense that, okay, why we are people are asking us to do it right why security engineering and other security consultants are behind uh, implementing these controls because this is a very I, I would say one of the most important document 
that I leverage all the time is to look at what are the capabilities out there where people will attack me, right? And, and, and they do a very job of, of keeping it up to date. So, um, one other point at the bottom that I mentioned is the mobile threat defense and mobile endpoint detection and response. These are uh, like upcoming areas. The threat defense has been out there, but basically just like on your Windows and Mac, you have endpoint protection. You have, we use this all the time. Uh, mobile endpoint uh, protection uh, includes these two solutions, which is MTD and EDR. And uh, that is evolving space, in, at least in EDR area, because uh, it requires some significant uh, uh, understanding and configuration in order to leverage it to full extent. But uh, something to keep in mind, keep it up to date, and uh, start reading at least about the threat defense is now becoming very popular, and people are rolling that out. Uh, as an endpoint protection for mobile. Sure. So, so this EDR is that something that uh, an MDN would have? Is it something that and uh, mobile OS will have? Is it something that you want to put on your managed devices? So, where does that? Yeah. So, this is more for managed devices because you cannot control the consumer devices, and uh, it's more for managed devices uh, protecting further. Apps because um, in the in case of managed devices, you can have corporate-owned devices or uh, BYOD, right? So BYOD, you know that there is some other activity going on at on the personal side, and that is where mobile threat defense protects your enterprise area, uh, so that even though something bad happens on the personal side, uh, it will continue to protect the enterprise data and the apps associated with it. So that's where it comes into picture. And. I think this is great because even if somebody is not interested in a job or a career in, you know, mobile uh, security or anything, even if they are just app developers, then this threats and defense will help, help them secure their apps. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, that's, that's great. Right. That's so if you look at the policies offered by mobile threat defense, um, ultimately they are all driven by, Apple and Google providing those hooks into their operating system. So as an app developer, in many cases, those hooks will be available to you. So you can leverage that within your app and offer the same protection that they are offering in that product. Mohan, you wanted to add something? No, no, that, that's fine. I think uh, he covered it well. Okay, thanks. So th this is a common uh, slide, you know, that we used in the last session and this one, uh, and, and it would be there in the next session as well. The reason being, uh, it, it has covered all the aspects, you know, of mobile uh, sec ecosystem security. Uh, this is kind of a universal slide, I would say, for any, uh, you know, uh, uh, threat and defense uh, 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 task that you have to take it up. Uh, you know, it could be web, uh, it could be mobile, but this is primarily for mobile, so yeah. If this is, uh, I would say, this covers everything. If if you eighty or ninety percent of uh, what you're doing is covered, or uh, you know, by your application or by whatever, if you're doing MDM or if you're developing mobile app, eighty to ninety percent if you're covered covered with this and your devices are and controls are in place, then I would say you're kind of covered. Right. Okay. Thanks. So. The next moving on to the testing area, right? As Mohan mentioned that as a, if you're a developer, you're already used to doing the functional testing, QA testing. Now think about it from the security testing, which is basically 
you had functional requirements, so you did functional testing and consider the app security that coding best practices as a non-functional requirement and you have to do the non-functional security testing, right? And um, if we look into the open source framework, there is uh, basically a couple of them. Um, Frida is um, becoming very popular and leveraged by most pen testers, at least the mural pen testing area. Uh, MobSF, uh, maybe Mohan can add a little bit more there. Um, Mohan, if you have any experience, uh, please go ahead and share. Yeah, I have used it, uh, MobSF, uh, since last five plus years, uh, and it's evolving nicely. Arjun Adram, uh, he was the one who started this, uh, a good friend of mine. And uh, he uh, keeps on adding these features. You know, uh, earlier it was only for uh, static analysis. Uh, you know, nowadays uh, I think uh, last uh, since eight to nine months, uh, there's a dynamic assessment uh, feature also has been added in the MobSF framework. And I'm sure uh, you know if, if you start using it, you will start loving it. Actually, I've used it, so that's why uh, you know from experience I'm saying this. Yeah. All right. And then um, if you're in a large enterprise environment, yes, there are commercial tools out there um, you know, that can provide those fee capabilities as well. So it's really which environment you are in, what kind of budgets available, et cetera, that will drive the selection of the security testing frameworks. Okay. Uh, this is again the same slide that we used last time about the training and certifications, because some of these slides I used as is because I want people understand that whether you are in device security or, or app security, um, these concepts go with it because you're just essentially foundation. Don't treat them as a two independent things. They're actually connected, right? We just, uh, because of the content size, we distribute them across the two sessions, but you really need to understand building foundation and all. And, uh, and so I think we covered this slide last time and uh, there are basically look for the training classes that your employer provides, I know there are so many videos out there that you can watch and uh, come up to speed. Um, all the frameworks that we mentioned about the security testing, all that, they have their own documentation uh, where you can leverage those and come up to speed very fast. Yes. And one thing I just wanted to point out is that even though like now you started, you've gone through this training intensive work, you got your first um, job that you wanted in securing mobile devices or maybe like, you know, um, in enterprise kind of environment, it doesn't stop there. So it's not like one and done. It's like every day. That's I think where your journey begins, basically making sure that, you know, you stay, stay one step ahead of whatever attacks and threats are going on. Mm -hmm. So I think that's when you really need to be careful because you're Every day there will be somebody trying to break into things or trying to, whereas, you know, whatever you learned yesterday was just like that a point in time. Sure. Very true. In fact, I think uh, anyone who's working in the security domain would, uh, you know, uh, echo the same thing. Anilapur. So uh, in security, you have to be constantly learning every day, you know, uh, and uh, the attacks, I mean, uh, in a way, I would say thanks to hackers. <laughs> Uh, because they, they keep inventing your ways of uh, getting in, breaking in, uh, you know, in your mobile, in your uh, APIs, in your enterprise network. And we, uh, in turn, get an avenue to learn and ensure that we understand how the attack works and we know uh, how to fix it then. You know? So it's, it's a continuous process and that will just go on and on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, sure. Now that uh, you know, you got training, you got certification, uh, and uh, probably you pr- would have landed up in a job with mobile app set now, uh, or in an area where mobile app is being developed. So, how do you get into the actual uh, app security, mobile app security, right? So, uh, it's very easy, by the way. The the, uh, the the reason why I'm saying it's easy because uh, we have Android uh, ecosystem which is uh, free. You don't have to pay for anything, uh, you know, and DJ really has a mobile phone. Most likely it will be Android. Uh, in some cases it will be iOS. But, uh, you know, if you're going to start in the mobile app security uh, domain, you can, the easiest step I would say is the, you know, get into Android application security first. You know, you start testing it and, uh, you know, uh, the setup required for uh, Android application security is very minimal. Uh, you can start with uh, emulators, you know, uh, uh, and then uh, you can go ahead with, uh, you know, once you've got enough experience, you can move on to uh, the device-based security testing, right? Uh, when it comes to iOS devices, uh, you probably may need a developer license if you're hacking, uh, you know, from the code level. But if you, uh, but anyway, you would need at least some investment in the Mac OS device. It could be, uh, you know, uh, iPad or it could be iPhone or it could be, uh, you know, um, um, Mac, uh, MacBook. Uh, uh, if you're working with the code, you are trying to understand how the code is written. Uh, you know, you need a development uh, environment, right? Like uh, Xcode and similarly for Android, right? So uh, in, in iOS, I would say uh, the, there are little uh, inhibitions, you know, there in place. But for Android, you can first start with Android, understand how the uh, ecosystem works, how, how you can actually uh, learn different uh, dimensions of, uh, you know, the Android application security ecosystem. And then once you're comfortable, then you move to uh, you know, the iOS. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, imagine that you have the setup ready. I would say uh, one can start with emulators or simulators. Uh, you know, you don't need uh, Android or iOS devices uh, to start with. I'm saying, you understand how the uh, app works. Once you uh, you know set it up in the emulator, you can interact with various features, and then you see what data is being uh, or what requests uh, is being sent to the backend, and then you can intercept those requests. And then you know you see you can fiddle with it, and if there is no uh, incomplete validation at the backend, you can actually uh, exploit that and you know uh, declare that hey, there's a vulnerability there. You know. I... Uh, in some cases, yeah. Go go ahead. No no no, please continue. Okay, so uh, uh, if you're working uh, on uh, emulator or simulators, so there is a limitation, of course, because uh, not every device feature can be simulated or emulated in the you know software right so you need at some point in time you, there would be a need to test on actual devices right uh, like android or ios devices so uh, in in such cases uh, you know in that path at some point in time you would feel a need to check if uh, you know uh, uh, i think uh, mitesh touched upon it uh, earlier in one of the slides uh, rooted devices or jailbroken devices. So rooted is for Android and jailbroken devices are for iOS ecosystem. So uh, you want to understand if I root the device you know, or if I jailbroken the, uh, jailbreak the device uh, and if the app is installed on that device, what all is at stake? You know, what all a hacker can actually see 
and then uh, uh, you know can make use of it to further the attack right uh, so further sense i start with application layer and then i go into the api layer and then i go into the back end and then eventually the data right so uh, you can actually uh, uh, you know simulate that understand that if you uh, install that app on a rooted or jailbroken device so uh, in certain organizations uh, you know if the app is dumb they don't care whether it is installed on a rooted or non rooted or normal device or jailbroken or normal device because uh, even if they install it this Okay. Guys, can you hear me? Yes, yes, we can. Okay. Yes, we can. Yeah. So, uh, in certain organizations, uh, the practice is uh, they uh, they look for you know uh, the underlying device where it is going to be installed, jailbroken or rooted device. And if it is found that uh, you know uh, it is a jailbroken or rooted device, they basically stop the installation of that app. So. the point is uh, it depends on uh, uh, how far an organization wants to uh, go and install the app right and how sensitive the app data that may or may not be uh, uh, you know uh, stored on the local on a device or locally on on that uh, you know uh, file system right so uh, <clears throat> so at some point in time you would need uh, to understand how to root a device how to jailbreak a device so you can uh, you know uh, take a old ios or iphone uh, or android device and then start uh, trying so there are i don't want to point to uh, you know the links where you can get it because it's a gray area uh, so uh, but if you search i'm sure you would get it you know so you you can uh, find out how to root a device or jailbreak a device and then you try to install that uh, corporate device or corporate app or a, you know enterprise app or a consumer app and see uh, you know what you can find basically right in the uh, if you are uh, if you have a rooted or jailbroken device you can actually see through uh, the entire file system right uh, so there are two areas one which is like common area and, and the another one is uh, where it is meant only for that app you know so uh, whatever that you are storing on the app in that file system dedicated for that app uh, you will not be able to uh, the other uh, apps will not be able to you know uh, extract that data but again there are loopholes in the oss right android ios earlier had these loopholes and people were successfully uh, you know exploiting those uh, and then they were able to uh, trade the data uh, sensitive data stored only meant for that app into uh, other apps right so uh, all those possibilities open up uh, you know when you start working with rooted or jailbroken devices yeah maybe if we can go to the next one, one approach i have seen is where yeah. um as a developer if you're developing let's say an app that has some uh, low risk function some very um, like a general information versus some high risk function that requires you to store some information so what people do is they allow a user to run the app on any device whether it's jailbroken or not or rooted or not but when it comes to high risk functions they check for the jailbroken rooted devices and if they find it then they stop user uh, from uh, further proceeding from that point on so this way you are not completely blocking user to um, use your app uh, but at the same time you are not allowing them to take the risk and more like it's more an informed decision where you are educating user and say hey your environment is not suitable for this kind of transactions so that is one approach i have seen sure and uh, most mdms will also have a check 
yes. that you know it's not loaded onto our in a, in a environment checking for jailbreaking jailbreak and booting detection is like a absolute minimum requirement and and the reason for that is that when you get your device for ios and android the app sandbox slide that we looked at right you do not have direct access to those jailbreak routing opens up access to that sandbox and and that's where all the data is that's why that control is critical to implement uh, at least in an enterprise environment and then in a consumer space you can take the approach of this uh, risk based approach where looking de depending on what function they are trying to use you can check for jailbreak or not right so true true and uh, just to add what i've seen in the last uh, decade or so is the uh, <clears throat> the ways in which you detect or your app detects whether the device is broke jailbroken or rooted uh, you know the variety of techniques have come evolved over a period of time and uh, the moment it matures there is a way to bypass it so it's a continuous process uh, you know and uh, you have to keep learning newer ways of detecting the jailbroken or rooted devices uh, but eventually uh, that will also fail you know that means people may find a work around it and then uh, you know you may uh, your app may not be able to detect that so uh, you have to keep learning as a developer as a tester uh, you know uh, as a app sec consultant you have to keep learning new ways to uh, to to protect as well as to bypass you know so that you can guide the development teams uh, better yeah <clears throat> yeah i think uh, the next slide basically talks about uh, where do you uh, get to uh, uh, you know a, a point from where you can actually start uh, moving in different areas of mobile apps and you would say uh, the link at the top you know uh, oasp.org www-project-mobile-security now on that page if you go you would see uh, these are just few things uh, there are many more things listed out there so it basically uh, i'll just quickly go through it it talks about a secure testing guide that means uh, it can be ios or android device it basically tells how do you actually uh, you know get into setting up the environment how do you test uh, a mobile app So that's a very good document, and uh, I have used it personally. I can vouch for it. Uh, then there is a ASVS, a mobile ASVS or mobile application security verification standard. Just like uh, we have for web ASVS, we have it for mobile as well in the OWASP. And that basically tells us, uh, you know, the items that need to be there, uh, you know, when we are uh, ensuring that the app that you are developing is secure, right? So you can actually look at uh, that document as well. and then there are uh, many projects uh, you know uh, like oasp igot uh, tool project which basically intentionally vulnerable ios app uh, so developer uh, or tester or whoever wants to get into this domain they can actually download this app and then you know play with it and identify various uh, vulnerabilities that are in there since this app is intentionally vulnerable uh, it has a lot of documentation uh, very uh, beautifully explaining Uh, how to detect a particular vulnerability where you need to do go what you need to do so that you can you know uh, <clears throat> identify those vulnerabilities so once uh, get used to this uh, you know android or ios uh, vulnerable apps intentionally vulnerable apps you can then move on uh, move on to try the other uh, normal consumer or enterprise apps and then see if you can identify through that approach uh, some vulnerabilities in there right so uh, yeah there are other android ck project is primarily focused towards uh, you know mobile data privacy and security uh, dam vulnerable ios application is again another project from oasp uh, where they are talking about 
uh, you know, developing uh, newer ways of injecting vulnerabilities into an application so that uh, the newbies actually can learn from it and uh, you know, uh, mature their understanding. Uh, MSTG Hacking Playground. Uh, this playground has a lot of um, uh, iOS and Android uh, intentionally vulnerable apps. You can actually go there. Uh, I mean, this is, this is one place where uh, you know you can get many such apps. So once you're done with say iGoat or uh, damn vulnerable iOS application, you can focus another application, set of applications, either in the Android domain or in the iOS domain. And then once you got enough experience, then uh, you know uh, you would know uh, you know uh, what kind of uh, maturity that you have reached. Because there are difficulty levels in these uh, uh, damn vulnerable, uh, you know, intentionally vulnerable apps. Uh, this uh, this page uh, or this URL also has mobile security checklist. Now, uh, just like I was asking, uh, I asked in the last session about MDM. You know, once uh, we have all the standards there. Uh, now I look at the standard, I implement the MDM, and then there should be a checklist, right, uh, to confirm whether. Whatever I have done is uh, as per the standard, and there is no loophole or uh, you know missing configuration or incomplete uh, configuration, right? Similarly, uh, mobile security checklist also uh, gives the same uh, uh, confirmation to you. So once you're done uh, with the development uh, or once you are testing a particular mobile app, you can just go through the entire checklist and say, okay, did I test? Did I test that? And you can just go on checking. And then once you're done with it, you can then summarize, uh, you know, whatever findings that you have, and then you can share that, uh, you know, with the respective teams. Sure. Maybe, yeah, okay. go to the next slide. Probably this is the last one. So uh, <clears throat> I've learned the basics. Now what next for me, you know, uh, as a new entrant into this field? So there are um, multiple ways to do that, uh, you know, uh, take the next steps. Uh, first, I would say uh, is bug bounty platforms. There are many, I don't want to name any, uh, but uh, these bug bounty platforms are really uh, best place to start, you know, because uh, bug bounty programs, uh, I think in, in Nilafar, we, we covered one such in, uh, covering bug bounty platform, uh, you know, in the past, you can have a look at it. The bug bounty platforms are a place where the hackers or uh, you know AppSec consultants want to get into this domain or they want to show off their capabilities, right? At the same time, uh, there are customers, you know, uh, the bug bounty platform has. So they have their enterprise web applications or enterprise mobile applications or consumer apps, right? So they want to test those uh, before the hackers uh, in the real world can, you know, hack it uh, in the public domain production, right? So they, they say, okay, Hey, bug bounty platform. These are my apps. Can you uh, ask your testers or uh, researchers to hack and uh, give us a list of uh, issues so that we can fix it and then we can, uh, you know, go to production, right? So, uh, in the bug bounty platforms, you are uh, legally authorized to break the applications. It could be web, it could be mobile, or it could be anything, right? So you, you are legally authorized. That means there is no danger of, uh, you know, if you find a vulnerability, you can safely report it. And then you would get a, a bounty as well, you know, a reward uh, in return, right? So, uh, bug bounty platforms is the safest next step, I would say. Uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, after you are thorough with your learning, uh, all the basics. And uh, one important caution that I want to give is uh, the ethical disclosure. Now, uh, I mean, when when I was, what I would suggest is, uh, if you are finding any vulnerability in a uh, in an app. Right, uh, so you you should be uh, doing 
the disclosure of it in a responsive manner that means you should go to the owner of that app and say that you know what i have uh, did some testing and then i found this vulnerable vulnerability and this can be fixed in this way and you give evidence you know how you found it and then uh, you give some time to them you know so that they can go back uh, work with the development teams and confirm whether there's it's a vulnerability uh, you know and then if it is a vulnerability then they would uh, fix it and once they fix it they basically probably give you uh, you know some reward or add you uh, in the hall of fame you know uh, for that organization but uh, i would strongly advise uh, not to publish uh, such vulnerabilities which you have just found on social media but the safest is bug bounty platforms but if you want to go beyond that ensure that you are doing whatever you are doing doing it in an ethical manner so that you go on or uh, submitted the uh, submit the vulnerability and give some time for them to fix it once they fix it then you can ask them permission if uh, you know you can talk about it in the social media and boost about your capability so if they allow you yeah, go ahead and do it but even uh, the issue is fixed and you know the patch or uh, next version is actually released Uh, that time uh, it's the right time to go to social media and not be before that so uh, ethical disclosure is a very very important thing and i have seen uh, you know out of uh, being amateur uh, sometimes the new entrants actually just want to show off in the social media the moment they find issue they say hey twitter this is what i found you know and that's that's not fair for people right uh, that's not fair for the application owners because at the end of the day uh, you know there are a lot of uh, uh, pieces that work together and then uh, app goes out in the production right so if you want to really help uh, as showcase your capability you do it in an ethical manner you know you give them uh, some time to fix the app owners and then once they fix it they release a new version or a patch then you basically uh, ask if you can you know put it in the public domain and then uh, once it is done uh, obviously you would get all the accolades uh, you know appreciation in the social media as well but uh, i would strongly advise not to do that in the beginning itself the moment you find it right it's, it's not fair on uh, on the owner app owner yeah sure and and all of us we abide by a certain moral code of conduct professional ethics so i think yeah thanks for pointing that out because maybe you are not even aware of a law but if not the right so next week we are going to talk about api security right correct and um, can you give us a little teaser on uh, what we'll be covering uh yeah just like wasp has uh, you know uh, web risk top 10 web risk top 10 mobile risk Uh, OWASP has come up with uh, API top ten risks as well. So we'll be covering that, and we'll be, uh, you know, if someone is actually a developer, someone is non-developer, if they have to come in into the API security domain, what are those, uh, uh, you know, pluses and minuses that are involved? Uh, what is the, uh, you know, learning curve that is involved? Uh, what are the prerequisites? How they can uh, uh, get started? So those are some of the things we would cover in the next session. Okay, perfect. That sounds great. Thanks, everyone, and uh, we'll next meet next week. Uh, next week. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mohan. Thanks, Mithi.